Well, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of All Out War. I'm Turner, and I'm in the studio with Rosie. What's up, Rosie? What's up, man? <laughs> Not a whole lot. <laughs> I, I think last time I was talking about my, my shorts I had on. Yeah, yeah. I'm wearing my favorite hat. Your your hat is cool. Uh, <laughs> should you, I say it? You don't want to say what it says, do you? Uh, no, I'll say it. Say it. Oh, shoot your local pedophile. <laughs> I love it because it looks like a police badge, yeah. like a police uh, patch that you have. That's cool. I love it. Yeah, I need to get me one of those. Yeah, it was a. Uh, I saw it. It was uh, they. <laughs> so the, they made these like super limited run. This is one of the official ones, though. Nice, like quote unquote official. Um, I think it was a bunch of people that were protest or were outside. Kyle Rittenhouse's uh, thing. They were they spotted a bunch of people that were wearing these hats. Oh wow! And they're like, look at these people. They're vigilante justice. You get because he, Vigilant- he shot. Yeah, because yeah. he shot a pedophile. Oh, they're that's... saying you should kill pedophiles. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's... I need that hat. But it was only open for like two days. And wow. I got in on it, and it took me like three months to make get it here. Wow, took him a while to yeah. get to you. Um, it was a good but, buy. Yeah. So I've been wearing this. I went to, uh, you get a kick out of this because uh, it's funny. I went over, we have family dinner on thir- Sundays before this. Yeah. And this is the first time I wore it over to my parents' house. And my mom was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you wear that. Outfit. That's, <laughs> you can't wear that. And I was like, she's like, please don't tell me you wore it. You wear that, like, outside, out and about. And I was like, no, yesterday was the first day. And <laughs> yesterday, on Saturdays, we go to... Uh, people may know this. It's like a habit. Some of me and the boys, we drive down to uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. the Rural King. The Rural King. <laughs> which is the best place ever. Yeah, because... so for, for our listeners that don't know what Rural King is, yeah. we've got to explain what that is. Okay, think of a Walmart, okay. but it's all country. So you can buy, you walk in, they have they have a popcorn machine. You get free popcorn and coffee. Cool. Free. And coffee. You can have dogs in there. You can have this so you can buy groceries or dry goods okay also meats or anything you can buy live chickens or ducks oh cool you can buy chainsaws you can buy guns and ammo <laughs> you can buy a full-size tractor nice you can buy everything and like Christmas all the gifts. accessories and stuff clothing clothing i got boots and stuff. great deal they got a whole well this is kind of iffy nowadays they have a whole section of car hearts yeah, which you know used to be used to be until they went all weird on us. Yeah, woke. But you can buy everything: guns to chickens, guns to chickens. So yeah, <laughs> that so sounds like my kind of story. I was wearing the hat down there, and there was people that they're like, "Hell yeah, brother!" <laughs> like I always get looks because I don't look like I fit in there. I don't know. Well, it's because I have all the tattoos and yeah, you so have I don't ink. I don't necessarily look like I fit in. Yeah. Like the first kind of, you know, first time we used to go, we, we've been going there every Saturday for like a year and a half now. Yeah. Like they all know us. And they sell that soda you like. Fago. Yeah. Fago. <laughs> that started as a joke, but. <laughs> Was it? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I enjoy Fago. It's with the Juggalos. Insane Clown Posse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I um, but yeah, so there are people that, uh, you know, I definitely got looks when the first time we started going in there from people like. It felt like they all wanted to say, like, you ain't from around here, boy. You better, like... But now they look forward to seeing you. Yeah. 
<laughs> like they know me, like the guys at the gun counter, they <laughs> they, they know me by name. <laughs> we're in there, you know, looking at them every time. But yeah, so there's guys that were like walking up, just random guys are like, hell yeah, man, I love your hat. <laughs> like we need to kill some of that. Like uh, just <laughs> openly saying, I'm like, hell yeah, yeah, we do kill your local pedophile. They're like, hell yeah, brother. <laughs> And uh, obviously, that I was saying that as a joke. You should not. Of course. Not, I would never yes. advocate. Never. Killing a pedophile. No. We can't. Shooting them is one thing. Killing them is another thing. Yes. And by what we're talking about, shooting them is shooting them with finger guns. Right. And going like, hey, you're a bad person. You belong in jail. You should go to jail. Bang, bang. Bang, bang. Right. You should not. We are not advocating any kind of violence. Right. At all. Even if that's what they deserve. And in a just society, that would happen publicly. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't live in a just that's society. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> that's enough. Don't. All right. That's what enough, you? yeah. Um, so what do you know? Is that crazy that what? we're starting oh, off um, what's going to be a controversial series with a controversial <laughs> thing that was going to get us in trouble? Uh, Here, I got a – this is also controversial. Okay. Is this – did you know? Did you know that uh, it is not healthy to drink alcohol in any capacity? What? Yeah. I mean, some people are teetotalers. Like I am. Yeah. Yeah. It says uh, – uh, there are some good things that can, like, lower your blood pressure from drinking. Uh, researchers admit moderate drinking may protect against heart disease, but found that the risk of cancer and other diseases outweighs these protections. Hmm. Um, so the new large stud global study published in The Lancet has confirmed previous research, which has shown that there is no safe level of alcohol consumption. Okay. So that's it. That's interesting. Yeah. I just wanted to throw that in there to uh Can you do me a favor? Make people can angry. Can you just bring yourself a little closer to your mic or bring oh. your mic there? Thanks. Is that better? Sorry. A little better, yeah. Thanks. I keep inching you up, but you Oh, it's okay. Yeah. Um So that was less fun. No no alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. I, wow. I kinda threw that as a joke because I yeah. came across it. But here here's like an actual did you know? Did okay. you know that BMW recalled its GPS system? As German men refuse to take directions from female voice. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So, um, I mean, uh, have you heard a German woman talk? <laughs> yeah, they're very angry. Yeah. Uh, Helga. Yeah, so here it is. Uh, it happened in the late 90s when BMW was flooded with calls from German men saying they do not want to take directions from a woman. As a result of which, BMW was forced to recall the female-voiced navigation system on its 5 Series cars. Um, it said, what more? Even BMW was guilty of sexism when their customer <laughs> service representatives tried to calm down the callers by explaining that men were actually behind the making of both the car as well as the directions. <laughs> they were, they're like uh, feminists for getting mad. Yeah. Uh, Based. Alvita saying... <laughs> you know there's this really funny uh so we lived in germany right i grew yeah. up in germany and on uh the base where we didn't live on base but we'd go do shopping on bases to get american stuff and they had uh this is i was gonna say if anyone lived in germany and went to an american px or bx in germany yeah in the late in the early 2000s you'll remember this shirt although i guarantee i don't think any of our listeners were 
is they would have uh, it was a shirt and it said where the heck is Osfart Germany, <laughs> and it had like a map of Germany. It just had like signs that said Osfart, because like Osfart is the name for exit. Oh, <laughs> so like when you're driving, everyone's like, "Where's Osfart?" I keep seeing it everywhere because no one knows what German is. I remember I had one of those, and none of my German friends thought it was funny. They're like, "Where the heck is exit Germany?" <laughs> they, like, that's it just stupid makes no Americans. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was really funny. I like that though. That's good, and it's spelled A U S F A R T. Uh, like A H R T, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, of course they would spell it weird with that that uh, weird German. Yeah, yeah. Osfart. <laughs> there you go. Anyways, okay, man. Well, uh, like we always say, sit back, grab a coffee. And enjoy. You're listening to the All Out War podcast. Boom. <laughs> I got it. I just like that bass drop. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, so we have a, a an interesting episode t- tonight, and so I just I probably need to make this announcement um, before we get into this. In our previous episode, uh, our last episode, we announced we were talking about grace, the whole the, the theology of grace, and uh, that was really fun. I got some good feedback on that, by the way, um, and uh, that's part of a series we're going to do some more of later on. But um, the uh, we mentioned that we were starting an option for our listeners to be a part of a private podcast and and uh, you know um, just to help clarify that what that means is that you and I are going to do um, we promised twenty extra episodes throughout the next year uh, where we would basically record content that would be exclusive to a basically a subscribed RSS feed that is private. Mm-hmm. It will not be made public onto the Apple forum or the Apple or the Google. Even though you can play it through your Apple podcast player, it will not be, you will not be able to find it if you tried to find it. And uh, it's a, it's a podcast that we're calling Warcast, the Warcast. And uh, it's just private episodes. I like the name, by the way. Yeah, it's a cool name. Yeah. It, it's a cool name. And, uh, and so basically we're going to be using those. Uh, we have 50 slots to uh, provide for people. Uh, we have a little bit less than that now because some people did sign up already. In fact, we had one listener, and this is so amazing. Mm-hmm. They gave us enough to, uh, they bought their own, plus they gave enough. They were generous, and, and they gave us enough to get another one to give away and a half of one to give away. So our whole thing was we were going to sell them for $40 for an extra 20 episodes that would be private for you. And there's two benefits to this. Number one is that we will be able to talk about things that would get us banned on YouTube, <laughs> which we've only had a couple removed, and then they ended up back on. And I don't, I don't really know how, why YouTube does what they do or how they do it. Like, I don't know what they're, you yeah. know, I don't know. I, I don't even really care. YouTube is not my thing. We're, we don't have an audience on YouTube, so it's not a big deal as much to me. But we have, I was going to say early listeners. That's so weird to say, but people have been with us. Um, yeah. We had probably like the first year, within the first year, because I remember we talked about it during the Clinton body count episode, mm-hmm. that we had gotten ridiculous levels of suppression. 
Yes. That people were getting unsubscribed um, to us. Like people would hit you up and say like, hey, have you not done a podcast in a, a, you know, a couple months? And you would say like, no, we put out like, like you know, eight, eight you know, in the last yeah. two months or whatever. And they're like, oh, well, oh, I'm not subscribed anymore. So we had people that were literally getting unsubscribed from their podcast. You yeah. Know, all, the, all these kinds of things that were happening. We were being ridiculously suppressed and we can go in. It's not important with the numbers, but yeah. we're not just saying that. It was actually happening. We had proof. So yeah. anyways. Yeah, it's true. So it's, it's not just YouTube that. No, it's not just YouTube, unfortunately. Um, it's others. But so this whole private podcast thing, it, it can't be censored because it's private. You sign up for the RSS feed. We send you a link and then you sign up for it and then you'll get it'll update in your pod player as we upload throughout the next year um, new episodes. And so the reason I'm saying all of this is not only to remind our listeners that, hey, for 40 bucks, you can you can bless the podcast and help us to provide costs of you know, hosting and things that we want to do. And uh, it doesn't take a lot to run the podcast. You know, we've invested into this, the gear and everything, but, and I'm not looking to, but Rosie needs pants. I do not I'm going to just say it. He needs pants. And so we, we need, we need the money to buy Rosie pants and rural King yeah. has some good sales. So hopefully we can get you a couple pair maybe, yeah, you know, that'd be nice. But I think for $40, you know, for a one-time $40 fee, whatever cost or whatever uh to get 20 new episodes it's two bucks an episode and i mean the way to think of it is uh <laughs> i mean it, it's more so we just wanted to we're like oh you can like if you've been listening for a couple years here's a way to like say hey we'll help you out for the last three years that we've been listening like, yeah. it's one of those it's not just like it, it was mostly i mean Frankly, we've had people ask how they can help out with the podcast, and they we have. have not wanted to say uh, really like anything. Any, we're, you know, we appreciate it, but like we do this because we love it. We're not trying to make money by any means. Yeah. And so now it's just like people, you know, it, hey, well, you know, we don't want to just take. I mean, sure, I guess we'll take donations if you feel led, but to help out with. Uh, and joking aside, it, all the money, you know, we were very adamant about. We're not buying anything new. We're not going to buy new computers or even anything like that. Uh, it's, well, I don't it's, know. I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe. not for me personally, but maybe for the podcast. Yeah, yeah. but it, it's just like hosting and want to be 100% transparent. So yeah. it's just helping. And we both wanted to say like we, we wanted to give something in addition to yeah. make it kind of worth it. You know, even if, again, you view it as we've been listening for three, four years now. We'll just help you out with the Whatever. But it, the whole point is we're giving additional content. Yeah. Just one way to give back. Yeah. And there's more stuff we can do with it. So Well said. Well said. I mean, there's a million ways we could have gone. We could have gone Patreon and go a paywall where people can pay to hear extra content or whatever. So it's basically that, but, but just through us. Through us. We're, you, we're not giving a cut to Patreon. Yeah. Whatever. You're actually cutting out evil Patreon. Yeah. Which they were actually censoring people yep. a while ago. Yeah, so, still so you won't. This is a way for us to kind of bypass that too, you know. So that's kind of cool. And uh, so, but anyway, so that the reason I brought all of that up, Rosie, mm -hmm. was because tonight we're going to be talking about a book, and we're going to be reading from parts of a book that you and I are going to do. Um, we're going to move that into the private podcast <laughs> episodes 
because of the nature of the content. And that's one of the things is like you can't talk about certain things. You can't, you you know, you can talk about, uh, I feel like I'm pretty open. You know, we talk about the vaccine or whatever, but that's like keywords you're not supposed to say and all mm -hmm. these things. And I think larger podcasts that get more an audience on YouTube, they'll get strikes for that kind of stuff. We don't really get, we're not on their radar um, on YouTube. And those channels like, they, they get monetized. Right. Like, so that's exactly. the thing we've never had. We, we don't care like, yeah. if anyone listens because we don't make any money or, you know, like if, yeah. you know, whatever. Like it really affects them. Like if they yeah. get, like I, I saw somewhere where Steven Crowder, he's a, he's yeah. a um, conservative guy. Uh, he got, he got basically banned for like a week or two and like it really affected his bottom line Yeah, because he, he gets, you know, from all the millions of views that he gets through his, you know, yeah. his thing. And we don't have cameras. So. Ours is just the audio on there too, so maybe and I'm like, I'm defeating my own. <laughs> They're like, you don't get banned on YouTube. You don't have cameras. Why are you? Why are you? Why do you need to worry about getting censored? Well, it's from the other, like the content. Apple, Google, oh, like yeah, they don't correct. like us. Yeah, they don't. Spotify. Look, if you're a Christian, <laughs> and you're outspoken and you speak the truth, you're not going to be liked. Especially with the topic that this series <laughs> Tonight, is going to get yeah. get into, so let's jump in it real quick. So the name of this book, and this is a book that you helped uh, get get me turned on to, is called Jesus in the Talmud. Yeah, and it's by a guy named Peter Schaefer, and uh, this book is. Essentially, and we're going to read a little bit about the introduction of this book tonight, and then we're going to go into the private episodes and break down the chapters uh, in the private episode. So if you like what you hear tonight and it piques your interest, then I would recommend break out your wallet. You're going to Venmo me <laughs> 40 bucks and you can get access to the, But I only, I only have like, I only have like 25 or 30 spots left. So yeah. you got to act quick. You got to act yeah. quick. And, so, and we can you can email us or you can uh, reach out to us on Instagram if you're following us on Instagram. Yeah. So, so, do you want me to like set up? Yeah, let's set it's, it up. Okay. So, this is. Um, I was going to say, people, if you're already looking at the title of the podcast, what uh, we haven't even decided it yet, but I'm sure yeah. it's going to be something about what you just said about what this podcast is about, yeah. episode the series. And uh, for those of you who are not aware, um, did you have a definition of the Talmud pull, pulled up? I did, or, oh, but my computer's it? being used okay, for the okay, recording. Okay. Um, let me just get pull up a definition of, uh, this is very easy, but the Talmud is the central text of rabbinic Judaism and the primary source of Jewish religious law and Jewish, Jewish theology. So basically... This is another one of the biblical text. It's not a biblical text. It's an extra biblical text. Um, but if you if you heard that correctly when I read that definition, it's the central text of rabbinic Judaism mm -hmm. and the primary source of Jewish re religious law and Jewish theology. So if you listened again to what I stressed there about it being the primary source, <laughs> you might have already picked up on some differences or something that you might go, wait a second. That runs counter to what maybe I've been thinking about, maybe everything I've been taught about this being 
the Talmud being the primary source of Jewish religion. Yeah. So before we get into that, uh, that's what the Talmud is. It's a it's a series of books. It's actually um, here. Let me say it, the Talmud has sixty three books and it's over sixty two hundred pages long. It takes about seven years and five months to read. <laughs> and basically, what the uh, the Talmud is is it's commentaries that have written over thousands of years of rabbis arguing with each other. And that's basically what it is. It's the written down oral traditions and arguments. And over time, you know, they were added on and some other rabbi will come up and then he'll write back to something from 600 years prior and he'll add his little spiel into it. Oh, well, I agree with this one and not this one. And then some other one will read that later. And, oh, I didn't like this guy. The original guy was right. And it's just all rabbis arguing with each other. Yeah. And so that's what the Talmud is. So why would we talk about this in such a way we brought it up that we're not going to do this on the public channel? Well, before, you, okay, before okay, you jump, okay, can okay. I just... Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it, it's, let's put some time, some history in there. So... There's two versions. Actually, there's three versions of the Talmud. The, there's the Jerusalem Talmud, then there's the Babylonian Talmud, and then there's a third one, which is very less lesser known, and it's basically a version, a, a very similar version to the Jerusalem Talmud, and it's called the Aramaic. And they, when they were written, like when they were written over the course of time, but when they were completed, one, the Jerusalem Talmud was completed in 500 A.D., the... Babylonian was completed around 700 AD. Mm -hmm. And so that gives you an idea of what like time frame of when they're written. And w when you think a lot I think well, I think when a lot of people think about the Talmud they think about the Old Testament pre-Jesus all the stuff that happened mm -hmm. before the New Testament and that is exactly right but they have commentary that they actually when they might be speaking about the Psalms they actually try and put jabs in there about Jesus yeah, as well. Right. And yeah, that's perfectly well said. And uh, the whole point, I just want to get everything, you know, that we were talking about prior to that out in front of this is we, the, the, basically there's this other book uh, I've been reading a lot about this stuff. Um, and this other book basically, uh, which is not this one, but it just summed it up very nicely. In that if you go to a Christian uh, bookstore, you go to a, uh, I, I went to a church in high school around here that is no longer, uh, it used to be one of the big mega churches before, I think you know which one I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That had, everyone left and went to the church we were at, uh, <laughs> that I met you at and all that. Yeah. Um, they had a they had a bookstore inside the church and they also had a Jersey Mike's, which was pretty awesome. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it was, it was uh, like the first local mega church. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, so you go to any of these, you go to the Christian book, not so much anymore, but you would basically go and you'd see a section on Hinduism, and it would be Christian books against Hinduism, Christian books against the New Age, Christian books against Islam. But there's never any books that come from a Christian perspective against Judaism, or arguing, like, uh, apologetics 
right. on how to answer, how to talk about Judaism. Because, and this, this gets very tricky, because there's a lot of misconceptions about Judaism. And this is where you start to get into um, tricky waters. It yeah. can get muddy. And if you are not coming, so but even before that, the whole central thesis, uh, the reason that we are talking about this, the reason that we're going to go into this book, the reason that we're going to talk about the things that we're going to talk about is because Judaism is not Christianity. I think that's pretty simple to understand. Islam is not Christianity. Mormonism is not Christianity. Uh, we would say even, I mean, I don't want to say even Jehovah's, but Jehovah's Witnesses are not Christianity. Um, so the orthodoxy of not, Christianity, they depart from that. Like right. these, these, they're not, they don't fall in line with that right. is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. And much in the same way, a perfect example is, and I'll, I'll say this even more so, is from our understanding, you and me, I'll, 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 I'm going to throw you in and say if you do not, I'm, I'll speak for myself. I can speak for you. Okay. Even Roman Catholicism, the dogma and the theology of Roman Catholicism is not correct. Like, I don't believe that it is not correct. I don't, I don't think it's in line with what Christianity. And I think that there's, uh, I love John MacArthur. He always says this, is that uh, there's people that are legitimately saved in the Catholic Church, but it's in spite of Catholic theology. Right. In spite of Catholic doctrine. Yeah. People can get saved there because, of course, God can work anywhere. God can convert someone in a mosque, you know, yeah. a vision, a legitimate one. He can do whatever he wants. So people can get saved all over. But like Mormonism, for example, this is if you want to um, witness or to talk or to evangelize to someone that is outside of Orthodox Christianity, little o Orthodox, uh, you know, what is thing you have to know what they believe and because like in islam you pointed out islam will say we believe in moses we believe in jesus we talk about jesus uh the uh, mormons have a conception of jesus and they'll say the exact same thing if you if you, you talk to a mormon and you're like oh, you know let me tell you about jesus christ and then they'll go oh we have jesus christ yeah we know about him and you might go oh okay you're saved i don't need to evangelize to you I don't need to talk to you, you know, in that kind of way. Right, I consider right. you a brother in the faith and I don't need to evangelize to you and try to spread the good word because you assume that they already are. In Judaism, it's very, it, it, it's very tricky because like you had said is that the way that we view it is we don't evangelize to the Jews, even though we do. We talk about in the pulpit from any... I'll say safe church, you know, a, a church that will talk, they will say this, they will say, you know, Jews are not saved because we believe that there's only, they reject Messiah, they right. re reject the gospel, but like we pray for it, but they, but they don't say anything more. They don't go yeah. into it. They don't talk about why. And it's because it's like, you, you brought this up before we were talking about it. It's the father religion of it. And it's very weird for us to kind of, it's, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it's like we instinctively should know that they are not saved, 
but yet we don't talk about it because we just kind of go, oh, well, that's God's going to do that. He's got his own <laughs> well, thing. Especially if you're a certain, certain denomination <laughs> yeah, or yeah. beliefs within Christianity where they, which is true. Scripture is right. true. It's hard in their hearts for a while. But two things, if, I, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. So one of the things that you mentioned, and this is, this is what I was thinking, is that it, it, because of the fact that, that Christianity comes, stems out of Judaism, yeah. you know, our Messiah was Jewish, um, you know, but when you get into the New Testament and you begin to break down the New Testament, and you said this, it's like Jesus puts an end to Judaism because of the fact that the new covenant was established through Christ raising from the dead. You know, once he res- raised from the dead, he confirmed his messiahship. He mm-hmm. confirmed he he confirmed that he was the son of God, that he could defeated death and, and defeated sin, and so that new covenant was established in that moment. And you know, the Jews ultimately rejected the offer of the kingdom that he gave in this three-year ministry. In fact, about halfway through his ministry, he actually kind of turned from them because he knew that they were rejecting him. And in the reason we know this is because he said first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. That's what the gospel was supposed to be mm-hmm. given to, first for the Jews. You know, he would actually, you know, um, expand the gospel to the whole world after mm-hmm. after he rose from the dead, when before he, when he ascended to heaven, he gave the Great Commission. But um, so it is difficult to say, hey, this this religion that we came out of is actually really bad or wrong. And uh, and the other thing is is that I wanted to bring up to you is that the the Tal- the Talmud is a commentary on the actual scriptures. So when you read, if you were to read through the Talmud, you would be reading someone's opinions on the actual scriptures. And I view this in the same way because in Orthodox Judaism, they will read through the Talmud. That's what they. That's their Sunday sermon or their, their yeah. Saturday sermon, whatever they, whatever you want to call it. Their church service yeah. would be the an exposition on the Talmud, mm-hmm. um, and instead of an exposition on the Torah, mm-hmm. the Torah being the first five books of the Bible, or the prophets, you know, the Old Testament, including the or Psalms, the soul, yeah. you know. So instead of reading the Old Testament verse by verse and giving that to their people in the, in the um, synagogue, they go to the Talmud instead. And the best way I can equate this, I was mentioning this to you earlier, the best way I can equate this is that in the Protestant ref, uh, churches, we have a similar thing happening. You know, for the, the last 2,000 years that Christianity has been around, the scriptures, once they were kind of codified and we had our canon of scripture, that was sufficient for us to be able to establish a uh, uh, how the church would be governed, mm-hmm. how our families would be governed in light of the scriptures, um, how we would relate to God and to one another, culture, all of those things were kind of put there in the scriptures for us. It was contained. Like, all truth you need to know is already in the words of the Bible. Right, the right. New, in the New Testament. In the yeah. New Testament. And we would use the Old Testament to point towards Jesus in the New Testament. The Gospels were the revelation of Jesus, and the, the rest of the, the New Testament after the Gospels, the epistles, are how to live for Jesus, you know? So it's like this progression that goes through. and But in the Protestant churches... They've moved away from teaching the Bible, and so now you get these commentaries on the Bible of people, and so they're going to do a series on how to be a well, a good neighbor, mm-hmm. you know, rather than just reading the Bible and reading the scriptures and giving that life-giving word to the people of the of God and feeding them the pure 
milk of the word and the meat of the word, they go to a commentary. And this is what I'm saying is like, to me, when you get around a Christian who spent a lot of time or been raised in one of these churches that I would consider progressive or even uh, seeker sensitive or one of these churches that just, they refuse to just open the Bible and read it to the congregation and explain what it means. Um, those Christians have thin faith mm-hmm. and they also have an understanding. And I don't, I'm not trying to be critical, but I'm just saying it to maximize the benefit of the Word of God, you should be taught the Word of God. Yeah. You depart from it. And, and so what's happening is, in what I'm trying to draw is a parallel here. In the synagogues, they've moved away from reading the Torah, the, the Old Testament, and they read these commentary, which are the Talmud. And that commentary in the Talmud actually has opinions on Jesus. Yes. And so when we speak of these opinions that they're going to break out, we're not being critical of the Jewish people. This is actually in their own words, what they what they teach people. And the reason it's so important for us to understand is if you're ever sharing the gospel with a Jewish person, you want to know what they've been taught about the person of Jesus. What are the things that they've been taught so that when you share with them Jesus, in their mind, it's a Jesus that's been painted in a picture of one way. In your mind, it's a a picture of another way. And they're, like you were saying with the Mormons, it's a different Jesus. Mm -hmm. So this is actually hopefully beneficial to our listeners so that they can actually share the gospel more effectively if they have the opportunity with their Jewish friends and neighbors, co-workers, whatever, that may happen to be Orthodox or read the Talmud or be trained in the Talmud. Yeah, and uh, I want to say it was uh, the reason I kind of set it up with uh, reading that definition. I agree with everything you just said. Well, you said most of it before. (laughs) (laughs) Is... um, one point I want to point out is that uh, when you had talked about the whole thing about uh, so many points even before getting into this, and that's why I said we don't even need to go into the first chapter. We can just talk about the introducing this because there's yeah. so much here. Is um, first of all, why is it so important to know about the uh, what they talk about Jesus? And because that's one of the things. It seems so like Christians, we almost take it for granted what we understand about Jesus. Uh, if you have an Orthodox view in the sense of uh, because we, 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 we seem to, um, you know, it's like this. Un- I'm trying to think of like divisions that we'll point out in other churches. We'll, we'll say like they have some other teaching about um you know, uh, we'll nitpick with like the music or they, they talk about, you know, the gifts of the spirit or we'll have all these kind of internal debates amongst ourselves, which is a, a lot of time. It seems like a lot of my Christian friends, that that's what they're talking about, other things. But, uh, you know, these other counterpoints and uh, within the church, but we all have this understanding of what who Jesus is in that central context is it's the rot, the cornerstone of our faith. We have to know that's the first thing that when you're sharing the gospel is because like what you said is it's all about Je- it's all about Jesus. So that's why it's so important to, you know, we can talk about, we've talked about Kabbalah. There's all this other stuff that we could uh, talk about Judaism, you know, that's weird about it or the, 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 you know, departure from, departure orthodox, from yeah. orthodox, 
all this other stuff, but it's so central that you understand what they say about Jesus because Jesus is the the bedstone of our faith. And that's why, you know, when we share about it, it's it, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That's why you need to know about Jesus. That's why this book is important. Yeah. That's why you need what we're going to talk about is important. It's because if they just, if, you know, we would call a heretic and condemn all these people that have heresies from the pulpit about who Jesus is, that's the one, you know, you can get into, you know, some other weird interpretations. Or, you know, I'm trying to think of other good examples that there isn't any that we would maybe not excommunicate. Uh, well, it might be like spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, that's a big know? division within the church, yeah. but you're not going to call him a heretic. Right. But the, the, Well, uh, just, someone. <laughs> yeah. Once. Strange fire, yeah. yeah. Um, but just that, that this is so central to that. And I think a lot of Christians who, who don't know this about Judaism, about what we're going to get into, about what they actually believe about Jesus is... It's extremely eye-opening. Yeah. And it's very tricky. So that's one thing is about, it it almost seems kind of, I just had this feeling of like, I really had to drive home that it is so important to know when you're sussing out what a religion says, the first thing you want to ask is, what do they say about Jesus? That is the central point to see what someone believes. Yeah. If they say they're a Christian, what do you believe about Christ? And it, 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 I mean, that's it. If they have, yeah. you know, other stuff we can kind of debate about. But if they don't have down what, who Jesus Christ was, what he did, and how that impacts you, that's that's the core of it. Right. You can share the gospel. That's all you need. It's about Jesus. He died. He rose from the dead. He bore our sins on the cross, and he took away. That's the only way that we can be, you know, sin. That's the core central to, tenet to it. So I'm sorry. I just felt Can like, I add to that, please, too? Please, please, please. So, so Jesus is preeminent. And then the second is that you must really guard your heart. Yes. Because the tendency is to get frustrated or angry because the criticisms towards Jesus that you're going to hear or that you might hear um, if you <laughs> yeah. if you buy the if you buy the private. Episodes. Don't say buy. Say if you want to support us. If you jump into the private episode, <laughs> uh, but the criticisms that are given in the Talmud of Jesus can incite you to be really frustrated and angry. And so guard your heart because, number one, God loves – he came first to the Jews. Like, he came first to the Jews. Mm-hmm. Like, that's – think about that for a minute. Yeah. He, he wanted them first to know the saving grace of Christ. He wanted them first to experience the new life and salvation in Christ and the being born of the Spirit rather than the law. He wanted them to experience the freedom of being yeah. forgiven and the true Sabbath found in Christ instead of obeying some – law that that would hold over their head a weight for them yeah you know um and so that was god's heart was first to them and though they rejected them and because they rejected him he it opened the door for the rest of us so in some part you got to be grateful (laughs) that they hardened their hearts towards the gospel so that god could open the door for the gentiles and paul says that very clearly he says Mm -hmm. he's hardened their hearts for for a time period until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And then once that happens, he's going to turn back his attention to them. And God disciplined the Jews harshly for many occasions throughout the Old Testament. That's mostly what the Old Testament is. And I, I want to bring something up that you said you said earlier uh, yeah, I was gonna... about the temple. And yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you can say it if you want. Do you want, 
do you want do you want the words to come from your mouth or do you want them to come from me? I don't care. Whatever. Do you, you want it to be all right? I'll say it so that I can put it on me that I'm saying. No, it. No, I, I, what you said was an incredible observation. Oh, okay. About the new co- you, establishing want, a new covenant. Do you, I'll say it. Um, the whole point is that uh, throughout the Old Testament, so this, I'm just going to say it first that what we see in Judaism right now, Judaism cannot currently exist. That's what I'm saying. So Judaism as the religion that was taught in the Old Testament no longer exists. What you see right now in synagogues is not God's original intention for Judaism. Right. And the whole point of that, I'm going to expand on the facts of backing that up, is all throughout the Old Testament there was two key points, correct me if I'm wrong, is that that hinder, you know that they were able to commune with God the Jews the Jew, God's people was God's people yeah. where they had sacrifices in the temple um and they had a priesthood right and that all throughout all throughout the old testament that is central yeah and so the whole th- so you have Judaism that's continuing Christ comes and he says I have fulfilled it so that is the first point that Judaism should have ended right when Jesus came Done. Right. Judaism should have ended and then fulfilled. And it, it, God's intention was for Judaism to transform into Christianity. It went from one group of people to, for the purpose, you know, the bloodline that he was going to, how he could bring Messiah. Genesis, Genesis 3, 15, 15, yeah, right? 315. That promise was through a chosen people and then it came. And then again, God didn't, he wants everyone to be saved. It yeah. spreads. So first Judaism ended in, with Jesus. He came, he fulfilled it. And I'll give you a second ending of Judaism, 70 AD. The temple was destroyed. They could no longer have sacrifices. And they no longer had a priesthood because they went into captivity too. Yep. So the two central things that made Judaism, Judaism even after rejecting Christ, which was the first, it ended, the second ending is they didn't have a temple. There is no right. Judaism officially ended once and for all, and it has not come back and because I, there is no temple. They do not have sacrifices. They do not have a priesthood. That is where rabbinic Judaism comes into play, and that is through the Talmud. So that is the two differences into present day. So, and also, if I well said, Thank kudos. That's a golf clap for you. <laughs> uh, but if I can add to that, if you don't mind, um, to Please. what's incredible, a lot of people don't realize this is so they need. There was two requirements: they needed a, pro, a, a propitiation, which is sacrifice, mm-hmm. and they needed a priest. They needed a mediator, and Christ fulfilled both of those mm-hmm. by being the Lamb of God that was slain. So on the cross, when he hung on on Passover, it was the it was the Passover, which was a, a feast they were ordered to to do every year looking forward to and it was a, it was a it was really it was an um the bible the hebrews calls it it was a um an image of what was to come you know it was a reflection of of the future of what was to be fulfilled and so jesus fulfills the sacrifice by being the lamb of god that was slain for the sins of the world and then he he also becomes our high priest because he becomes the mediator between man and god mm-hmm. paul says there's only one mediator between man and god the man jesus christ he says that in Timothy. So he became our priest and our sacrifice. And so, and, and then the fact that the temple was destroyed in 70 AD is actually prophetic 
fulfillment because Jesus stood at, on the Temple Mount and he said, not one of these stones are going to remain on top of another. And he says, but yet God will rebuild it in three days. And they're like, how can it's taken mm-hmm. us, you know, 300 years or whatever, you know, and at that time, King Herod was actually on this huge uh, rebuilding of the Temple Mount. He, he went from like three or four acres of Temple Mount to like yeah. 30 or 40 acres. I forget what the dimensions yeah. were, but he was expanding and the temple stood there somewhere. And, and it's the current place where the Temple Mount is today, where the Allah Mosque or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. I don't know how to say it, and the Dome of the Rock. And so, um, so, and so just on that too, the temple will be rebuilt. The temple re- will be rebuilt in the last days and there will be sacrifices offered again, but this will be a great deception because the <laughs> Antichrist is going to go in and the Antichrist is gonna, going to deceive many into believe, them believing that he is the Messiah. So because he will do false miracles and he will bring peace and you know for a short period of time and so we and if you want to know about that just go back and listen to our, our end time series yeah. that we did about eschatology and and so the fact that Jesus told them that the temple was going to be destroyed he fulfilled the sacrificial requirements perfectly he was a, he was a spotless lamb perfect without sin and he became the high priest they have no excuse mm-hmm. They have only Christ to look to for their, you know, becoming one with God. Yeah. And so, and Jesus even took shots at them when they were like, hey, we belong to Abraham. You know, he says, I tell you before Abraham was, I am. He was, (laughs) people don't understand. Right. A lot of Christians don't understand the meaning of that phrase. Uh, The depth of, always when you read your Bible, this is just a little side Bible study. When you read your Bible, look at who Jesus is talking to and listen to what he's saying to that person he's talking to. And if you can understand the person that he's talking to, why would he use those words? Why would it impact him the way it did? And so many times when he speak to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, he was extremely critical and he would take knocks and shots at the, their theology because it was off and it was wrong. So even by the time Jesus shows up on the scene, he's all they're already off base. Yeah. You know? You know, that just... That's a perfect segue. I, I totally because it, when we start reading the the introduction to this the, the chapter, which lays everything out, <laughs> which will happen, we promise <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> that's such a great point that Jesus Himself was rebuking, and it, I mean, basically, what he—I just picture him. The whole thing is when he goes to the religious people, he's basically saying, like, "You're you're an idiot." I'm right here. I fulfilled everything. You should be worshiping me because right. you're the people who have known. You've memorized the entire book. You know all of the, all of the uh, not miracles, the uh, prophecies that are fulfilled. I, I'm standing right here. Yeah, you know, like that's that's why he's so harsh with them. But I was going to say, almost in a counterpoint, which is what we're going to get into, is the whole point about the Talmud in its talkings about Jesus, they do the opposite. They do what Jesus did to them. He came and rebuked them. And they basically what happened is they came and they turn all of the the uh, cr- the biblical teachings of like they use the New Testament. They talk about things that are in the New Testament and say it's basically getting back at Jesus, getting back at the Christians 
and they use the same kind of. Uh, Are you saying they they use inversion? They use inversion. Yes. Wow, doesn't that sound very dark? And it does. What else do we know that use <laughs> inverts the truth? Yeah, uh, <laughs> you, you said it, not me. Um, but anyway, so that's uh, and that's a polemic. The, uh, that polemical term, uh, the polemic, is uh, going against the. It's writing something, which is the New Testament is full of polemics against oh, yeah. not only the Judean against Jews, it's against the Greeks, it's against yeah that's paganism, where all the paganism, the flesh, everything, the world, yeah, it is full of this. So this is, you know, uh, I was going to say they, the Old Testament, the the Church Fathers knew this stuff, and I, you know, a little history lesson. I, can I before we get in? I just want to say that this was very influential in me. I remember I uh, had some when I some people know this. I used to work in uh, whatever. Uh, I was gonna say I realized I've never actually said where I worked before. No, you haven't. So I was about to get myself into tr- not into trouble, but um, I had a, I had some Orthodox Jewish friends, right? And I remember that they I had heard stuff about how. The Jews talk about Jesus in the Torah, uh, in the Talmud, and I always assumed that it was like, oh, they they, well, they read the Old Testament, that's what they care about. The Talmud's not very important, right? That's how I viewed it. And I remember I was talking to an Orthodox Jewish friend of mine, and, you know, and I said that I was like, well, you guys really don't believe in the Talmud, right? And he was like, no, that's the central text to our faith, and I was like, oh, that's really weird. And uh, he was like, yeah, that's all Orthodox Jews believe. We go by the Talmud. We, that's how we settle all these things. That's what we believe. So that was, um, I, I just started losing my train of thought. But that's, I, I didn't know that. And that really opened my eye. What was I saying right before that? Uh, it doesn't matter. If I, if, if, it, if I don't remember it, I wasn't supposed to say it. <laughs> Um, anyways, moving into it, if I remember it later on, but, uh, crap. Yeah. I don't remember. I swear it was a good point and, uh, maybe I'll say it later, but the other thing too, we should probably say is that the, the author of this book that we're reading Jesus in the Talmud is not a believer. He, yes. He's not a Christian. He's Jewish. So it's a secular, secular individual or or Jewish, Jewish, Jewish. Yeah. And his attempts to write the book were to be. Um, more transparent yes. about this topic of Jesus because it's not well written of, and one of the reasons is, is which we can share is that <laughs> there's not a lot written about Jesus in the Bible, in the Talmud. I mean, right. So because there's not a lot there, there haven't been a lot of endeavors to write books about it. Yeah. But what is there is pretty. Uh, it's pretty damning. It's very bad. I would not damning because Jesus is without <laughs> damnation because he's purely God, but it's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, I'm, just, I'm stumbling over my words because I'm just, I just don't want, I don't know. It's well, a hard topic. It's taboo, man. Yeah. You know, and uh, again, we, we're coming at this from a, uh, this isn't a point. Uh, we are coming from this again. I just want to reiterate right before we start re- getting into it is that we, uh, in even Christian society, we praise uh, people when they leave Islam and they, you know, you hear all these people that uh, leave Islam, right? They find Christianity 
and they go back and they talk about all the evils of Islam. Right? Yeah. About how, oh, they believe all this stuff. They, their worldviews. Their worldviews. Yeah. This is all, you know, incorrect. They're, you know, uh, living in the, I mean, the, the huts, and they still have this old way of thinking. Islam is very evil. Don't get me wrong. Islam is very evil. But when we hear a Messianic Jew, a, a, a Jew who becomes a Christian, we do not say, Look what he came out of. Look at what evil, he came out of. Look evil. at this evil of Judaism. <laughs> right. right. But if we're being objective and Christians and we want to reach both people, the Jews and the, the Muslims, we should view it the same way. It is not Christianity. What do they say about Jesus? And there should this should not be taboo right? amongst Christians. Well, yeah. So, I mean, this is what got Paul beat up. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, <laughs> beat up, left for dead, and chased yeah. around. Oh, I was going to say this, this yeah. all throughout history is uh, this is what I was going to say, which is very interesting. And uh, throughout hit church history, there was popes, or there was, uh, you know, back when the, the Catholic Church was all over, there were really, the, 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 remember exactly what I was going to say. So I was talking to the same Orthodox Jewish friend that told me about the Talmud. And I remember when Notre Dame was on fire, mm. he was celebrating. Oh, wow. We were Twitter friends, and we were DMing. I was like, dude. And he was like, oh, do you, you're not Catholic. Do you care about Notre Dame? And I was like, what? I mean, whatever. And he was like, I'm so happy. Or I think because I sent him, I was like, why are you happy about it? And he's like, they burned the Talmud in front of Notre Dame in like seven. Oh, it was St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis, Saint the king Louis. of France. Yeah. I think in the seven, 700s, somewhere around there, burned all the copies of the Talmud when they found out what the Bible, what the Talmud said about Christianity. So there is, what we are getting into, again, it's very taboo. It should not be taboo, but, like, the church has, this is an orthodox teaching against the Talmud in particular because of the stuff that it says about Christian, uh, Jesus. So, uh, it, basically, we're going to start a war. <laughs> it's a good thing that our title of our podcast is all out war hey, i'm ready for it baby <laughs> so i just finished you want to start burn reading? you should get a hat that says burn your local talmud oh my god <laughs> that would get me beat up so much i could not oh all right Inter yeah let's go, go introduction i'm just gonna read and i'm gonna try and put my reading voice on yeah and we're going to stop and we're going to talk about stuff, but this is yeah. interdict. It's only been 50 minutes. I mean, Joe Rogan does three-hour podcasts, so come on. Yeah. What is this? All right. This book is about the perception of Jesus of Nazareth, the founder of Christianity, in the Talmud, the foundation document of rabbinic Judaism in, in late antiquity. What do these two, Jesus and the Talmud, have in common? The obvious answer is not much. There is, on one hand the collection of writings called the New Testament, undisputedly uh, our major source for Jesus' life, teaching, and death, most of it written in the second half of the first century CE. And there is the Talmud, on the other hand, the most influential literary product of rabbinic Judaism developed over several centuries in its two versions, in Palestine and Babylonia. In the first Palestine or Jerusalem Talmud, was edited in the 5th century, Palestine, and the second, the Babylonian Talmud, reached its final form in the early 7th century in Babylonia. Both documents, the New Testament and the Talmud, could not be more different in form and content. The one, written in Greek, is concerned about the mission of Jesus of Nazareth, who regarded as the Messiah 
and the Son of God was rejected in his claim by most of his fellow Jews, put to death by the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, and resurrected on the third day after his crucifixion and taken up into heaven. The other, written mostly in Aramaic, is a huge collection of mainly legal discussions that deal with the inner intricacies of daily life conducted according to the rabbinic interpretations of the Jewish law. All right. Do you want to take over there? Sure. Uh, moreover, and here things become much more complicated with the juxtaposition of Jesus and the, quote, Jesus and the, quote, Talmud bordering on an oxymoron. Both stand in, in a highly charged and, and antagonistic relationship with each other. The Jewish sect triggered by Jesus in Palestine would eventually evolve into a religion of its own, a religion to boot that would claim to have su superseded its mother religion and position itself as the new covenant against the old and outdated covenant of the people of Israel by birth. That's a key point, but we can go. And at precisely the time when Christianity rose from modest beginnings into its first triumphs, the Talmud, or rather the two Talmudin, would become the defining document of those who refused to accept the new covenant. So it, what it's saying is the Jews who refuse to, they, they go after the, I'm sorry, <laughs> we've talked so much, I, I, I feel yeah. like we're just getting started. Yeah. Um, who so obstinately insisted on the fact that nothing had changed and that the old covenant was still valid. Yet strangely enough, the figure of Jesus does appear in the Talmud, as does his mother Mary, not in a coherent narrative, but scattered throughout the rabbinic literature in general, and the Talmud in particular, and often dealt with in passing, in conjunction with another subject pursued as a major theme. In fact, Jesus is mentioned in the Talmud so sparingly that in relation to the huge quantity of literary production culminating in the Talmud, the Jesus passages can be compared to the proverbial drop in the uh, I'm not even going to, I can't. They give speak. you a translation there. Yeah, I'm not going to, anytime you hear me say something like that, I can't, um, it's in Jewish. That's pretty easy, Yamaha uh, Talmud. Oh, there you go, the ocean of the Talmud. Yeah. The earliest coherent <laughs> narrative about Jesus' life from a Jewish viewpoint that we possess is the infamous polemical tract, Toledot Yeshu, History of Jesus, which, however, took shape in Western Europe in the early Middle Ages, well beyond the period of a concern here. Although, to be sure, some earlier versions may go back to late antiquity. All right. So why bother? If the rabbis of rabbinic Judaism did not care much about Jesus, why should we care about the few details that they do transmit apart from, the simply, apart from simply stating the fact that they did not care much? This is one possible approach, and as we will see, the one that has been taken in the most recent research on our subject. But I do not think it is an appropriate response to the problem posed by the admittedly e meager evidence. First, the question of Jesus in the Talmud is, of course, part of the much larger question of whether and how nascent Christian movement is reflected in the literary of output of rabbinic Judaism. And here we are standing on much firmer ground. Jesus may not be directly mentioned, but Christianity, the movement that is set in motion, may well be discussed. Second, the starkly antagonistic paradigm of Judaism versus Christianity, forever frozen, as it were in splendid isolation from each other, has come under closer scrutiny over the past two decades. The oversimplistic black and white model of the one sister religion, Christianity, 
emerging out of the other and almost simultaneously breaking off from it and choosing its own independent path, and of the other, Judaism, remarkably unimpressed by its epic-making event, steering its own course until being overcome by the historic momentum of the stronger religion, no longer holds the reality of as it transpires from more detailed and unbiased research is more complex and perplexing. Hence, no matter what the accumulation of the quantitative evidence, we need to take very seriously any trace of a discourse between Judaism and Christianity, let alone of a reaction to Christianity's founder. Okay. I was going to say. So he's setting it up there for yeah. us. And we're going to skip a couple pages because it just goes through why he wrote this book. Again, this is a Jewish uh, scholar. He is Jewish. He's a practicing Jew. And this is, uh, he basically looks at the old ones and said all the other books prior to this one either tried to ignore the fact that, so that here's some little thing that you may hear from someone, a, a, a Jew, that you're talking about. What they If you start talking about this stuff, they may go, oh, that's not actually Jesus, the one you believe in. Right. And that's what he's saying is, Basically, no, we need to come to terms that, that Judaism, we do believe this. This is Jesus, Yeshua of, you know, Bethlehem, Mary, Joseph, that, you know, started a, what we... Did Christ, the miracles. Yeah. Did the miracle. They, that, it, it is the person. But, so it says, is this then the last word? Is there no other option beyond Christian anti-Judaism, Jewish apologetics, and uh, this other guy's almost scientific explaining away of the evidence? I strongly believe there is, and I intend to demonstrate that in the chapters of this book. Before we enter the detailed discussion of the relevant sources, I will set forth some of the principal considerations that will guide me through this discussion. Since this book is not aimed just at specialists, let me clarify what I mean by discussing Jesus in the Talmud. By Talmud in the broadest sense of the term, I mean the entire corpus of rabbinic literature, that is, the literature left to us by the rabbis, the self-appointed heroes of the Judaism of the classical period between the 1st and 7th century CE. This literature includes the Mishnah and the Sototstet, Toset for that, whatever. <laughs> the early twin collections of legal decisions edited around 200 CE and in the 3rd century, r- respectively. And the Mish Midrashim, the rabbinic commentaries on the Hebrew Bible in their manifold form. And, in the more narrowly defined and technical sense of the word, the Talmud and its two manifestations, the Jerusalem or the Palestinian Talmud and the Babylonian Talmud. The later polemical tract, Toledot Yeshu, is not part of this investigation, although I do hope to turn to it in a follow-up project, and in addition to preparing a modern edition and translation to clarify further its relationship with the Talmudic evidence. Cool. I follow the traditional distinction between the earliest, uh, I don't even know that word, Tanataic? Tanatic? Tanatic sources. This guy is very, he's much He's German too, so uh, translation. Wow, okay. Uh, uh, then he gives a de- definition. So it says, I follow the traditional distinction between the earlier Titanic uh, sources, i.e. sources that are ascribed to the rabbis of the 1st and 2nd century, and the later Amoraic sources, i.e. sources that were ascribed to the rabbinics of the third, the rabbis of the 3rd and, and the 6th centuries. 
of the relevant Talmudic literature. In addition, I put, to get, put great emphasis on whether a certain tradition appears in Palestinian and Babylonian sources or solely in Babylonian sources, that is, in the Babylonian Talm Talmud alone. Indeed, in calling the book Jesus in the Talmud, I emphasize the highly significant role played by the Babylonian Talmud in Babylonian Jewry. Jewry. The source material that I have chosen for analysis focuses on Jesus and his family. In other words, I am not claiming to deal with much broader subject of how Christianity as such, a, as such is reflected in the literature of rabbinic Judaism. One could argue that a book about Jesus in the Talmud cannot adequately be written without taking this broader context of Christianity into full consideration. To a certain extent, I agree with such an approach, and sometimes I will venture into more comprehensive categories. Yet, I nevertheless take the risk of limiting myself to this more narrowly defined question because I believe that Jesus, along with his family, was intended, was, in, was indeed perceived in our sources as a subject of its own. It says, unlike uh, this other author and many of his predecessors, I start with the deliberately naive assumption that the relevant sources do, do refer to the figure of Jesus unless proven otherwise. Hence, I put the heavier burden on proof on those who want to decline the validity of the Jesus passages. So, the, again, the other ones, they always say, oh, that's not really Jesus. Here, he's starting from a harder point, uh, the naive point, yeah. and has to have burden of proof to prove otherwise, which, again, the other ones don't. He's, he's, he's actually really good at laying out his uh, yeah. defense for why he wrote the book and his kind of, like, motivation. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I was going to say it helps to understand again with this stuff to take into account. He's he's a Jew, but he's actually giving it a very honest approach to it. Yeah. It says more precisely, I do not see any reason why the Tanatic Jesus Ben Pantera Pandera, which means Jesus son of Pantera, which is, you might have just heard what I said. Yeah, dude, uh, stop, pause there. Okay. So, you know. I wasn't saved. And I used to listen, when when I wasn't saved, I used to listen to a lot of heavy metal. Yeah, like, like Iron Maiden, Megadeth, obviously Metallica, Pantera. They were one of the bands. That, and yeah. when I saw this name Pantera, I never knew what the name Pantera. I thought it was some kind of cat. Right. I honestly thought it was yeah. some kind of cat, like it was like a panther or something like that. Um, when I saw this name in here, I realized that it's actually a criticism of Jesus. Yeah. Pantera was like a a guy. An, a bad guy yeah so that they were attributing to being being jesus himself jesus's father yeah yeah oh that's right Not, <laughs> yeah. that's right his father sorry yeah. uh so yeah uh, more precisely i do not see any reason why the tenotic jesus ben pantera and ben stada the son of stada passages should not be refer to jesus and i will justify this claim in the book here i substantially disagree with the other guy who vehemently, I always mess that word up, denies the possibility that there are any authentic Tanatic passages and even declares the Amoric passages as all belonging to the post-Talmudic rather than the Talmudic period, top of page 8. However, we need to make in here an important qualification. The fact that I accept most of the relevant sources as appear referring to Jesus and his family, particularly his mother, does not by any means assume the historicity of these sources. As I see it, uh, 
The other author's most fateful mistake is the way he poses the problem of the histor historicity of these texts. He takes it for granted that in having purged the bulk of rabbinic literature from Jesus and in allowing for, quote, authentic Jesus passages to appear only in the very late Talmudic and preferably post-Talmudic sources, he has solved the historicity problem once and forever. The few authentic passages he maintains are all very late and hence do not contribute anything to the historical Jesus. For what he is concerned about, with almost obsessed with, is the historical Jesus. This is why he is so fond of the distinction in mostly Jewish authors between the historic Jesus and the Jesus of the faith, which uh, following, of course, a differentiation made, being made in critical New Testament scholarship. The historical Jesus does not appear in our rabbinic sources. They do not provide any reliable evidence of him, let alone historical facts that deviate from the New Testament and therefore must be taken seriously. According to this, uh, this other author, that's the end of the story. Since the rabbinic literature is meaningless in our quest for the historical Jesus, it is altogether worthless for serious scholarly attention with regard to our subject matter. So what he's saying right here is that basically... He's agreeing that because the Jew, the Talmud, you know, so we, we would say outside, you know, the atheist is like, oh, where are the outside sources that historical Jesus ever existed? We don't have any outside sources. Right, right. All you have is a Bible that says the Jew, you know, Jesus existed. First of all, if you ever hear this, the sidebar, there is no scholar, any scholar, even atheist scholar who seriously, that's taken seriously, disproves that Jesus of Nazareth was a person and existed. So what he's saying here is that the Talmud does not actually deal with saying, was he real? Jesus in this. Did yeah. He, did and that's something that, again, that's a polemic that Jews will say that, you know, like we don't have any account of him. Why do they not have any historical account of like, oh, there's this guy here? Because again, when we go into it, they don't say there's this, Jewish guy that came here and he's from Nazareth and, you know, like he was over here and it lines up with what the New Testament says. You know, they don't have anything. It's not because they didn't, they like cared about him. It's because they didn't care. It's so much just like, oh yeah, we don't even care about that guy. We're not going to waste our time writing about it. Yeah. So that's why he's saying the historical Jesus doesn't come into account and they're only talking about Jesus in a, uh, how we view him, a religious light. Yeah. So. The person in the religious light. Right. It's Jew on Jew hate, man. Yeah, Jew on true. Jew hate crime, man. Yeah. Why do they hate their own brother? All right. I agree that much of our Jesus material is relatively late. In fact, I will argue that the most explicit Jesus passages, those passages that deal with him as a person, appear only in the Babylonian Talmud, and can be dated to the earliest, at the earliest to the late 3rd century, early 4th century. Yet I strongly disagree with Mayer that, that this is the end of the story. On the contrary, I will claim that, there, that it is only here that our real inquiry begins. I propose that these, mainly Babylonian stories about Jesus and his family, are deliberate and highly sophisticated counter-narratives to the stories about Jesus' life and death in the Gospels. Narratives that presuppose a detailed knowledge of the New Testament, in particular of the Gospel of John, presumably through the Diatasseron and or the Peshitta, the New Testament 
of the Syrian churches. More precisely, I will argue following, indeed, some of the older research, that they are polemic, pol, pol, polemical. polemical, thank you, teacher, uh, counter-narratives that parody the New Testament stories, most notably the story of Jesus' birth and death. They ridicule Jesus' birth from a virgin, as maintained by the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, and they contest fervently the claim that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. Most remarkably, they counter the New, Te- New Testament passion story with this message of the Jews' guilt and shame as Christ killers. Instead, they reserve it completely. Reverse. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Instead, they reverse it completely. Yes, they maintain we accept responsibility for it, but there's no reason to feel ashamed because we rightfully executed a blasphemer and an idolater. Jesus deserved death, and he got what he deserved. Accordingly, they subvert the Christian idea of Jesus' resurrection by having him punished forever in hell and by making clear that his fate awaits his followers as well, who believe that this fate awaits his followers as well, who believe in this imposter. There's no resurrection, they insist, not for him and not for his followers. In other words, there's no justification whatsoever for this Christian sect that is impudently claims to be the new covenant and that is on its way to establish itself as a new religion, not least as a church with political power. This I will posit, uh, sorry, this I will posit is the historical message of the late Talmudic evidence of Jesus, a proud and self-confident message that runs counter to the all we know from Christian and later Jewish sources. I will demonstrate that this message was possible only under specific historical circumstances in Sassania, Babylonia, with a Jewish community that lived in relative freedom, at least with regard to Christians, quite different from conditions in Roman and Byzantine Palestine, with Christianity becoming an ever more visible and aggressive political power. That is not to say that the Palestinian resources are devoid of any knowledge of Christianity or Jesus. On the contrary, they are vividly and painfully aware of the spread of Christianity. They are not simply denying or ignoring it in a kind of Freudian mechanism of denial and repression, as has often been suggested. Rather, they are acknowledging Christianity and engaged in a remarkably intense exchange with it. But still, Jesus as a person, his life, and his fate are much less prominent in the Palestinian sources. So my claim is not so much the distinction between earlier and later sources that matters, but the distinction between the Palestinian and the Babylonian sources, between the two centers of Jewish life in in antiquity. As we shall see, the different political and religious conditions under which the Jews lived created very different attitudes towards Christianity and and its founder. Hmm. Finally, what kind of Jewish society was it that dealt with this particular way with the question of Jesus and Christianity, daringly self-confidence in Babylonia, and much more restrained in Palestine? The answer is simple, but probably not very satisfying for a social historian. It was no doubt an elitist society of the rabbinic academies. 
The creators and the addressees of this discourse were the rabbis and their students, not the ordinary Jew who did not have access to the rabbinic de deliberations, although this possibility cannot be ruled out that the academic discourse also penetrated into sermons delivered in synagogues and therefore did not reach the ordinary man. But there is no evidence of that. Moreover, it needs to be re-emphasized that the Jesus passages in the Talmud are the proverbial drop of water in the ocean, neither quantitatively significant nor presented in a coherent manner, nor, in many cases, a subject of their own. Yet they are much more than just fragments of imagination, scattered fragments of lost memory. Adequately analyzed and read in conjunction with one another, they are powerful evidence of a bold discourse with the Christian society, of inter interaction between Jews and Christians, which was remarkably different in Palestine and Babylonia. Cool. All right. The chapters of this book follow the story of Jesus as it emerges from the Talmudic sources as we combine them and put them in sequence. This to say, this is to say I have set up the headings under which I present the evidence in order to present the material in a meaningful structure, not just as literary fragments. Although I do not wish to impose on the reader the notion of a coherent Jesus narrative in the Talmud, I do not want to point out major thematic thematic topics with regard to Jesus and with and, and Jesus with which rabbis were concerned. The first chapter, Jesus' family, deals with the first cornerstone of the New Testament, Jesus' narrative, his birth from the Virgin Mary. I will show that the rabbis drafted here, in just a few words, a powerful counter-narrative that was meant to shake the foundations of the Christian message. For, according to them, Jesus was not born from a virgin, as his followers claimed, but out of wedlock, the son of a whore and her lover. Therefore, he could not be Messiah of Davidic descent, let alone the Son of God. The two following chapters focus on a subject of particular importance to the rabbis, their relationship with their students. A bad student was one of the worst disasters that could happen to the rabbinic elite, not only for the poor student, but also for his rabbi, who was responsible for him. In, coming, in, in counting Jesus among the students who turned out badly, the rabbis passed upon him their harshest judgment. Moreover, I will show that, in Jesus' case, the reproach with which they confronted him clearly had sexual undertones and emphasized the suspicion of his dubious origin in chapter 2. The same is true for the story about Jesus, the frivolous disciple, not only did he entertain lewd sexual thoughts, but when rebuked by this rabbi, he became apostate and established a new cult. The message, therefore, is that, new, that the new Christian sect religion stemmed from a failed and insubordinate rabbinical student in chapter 3. The next chapter, so we're the, what we're getting into now, these chapters are all going to be the episodes. Of the episodes so we're giving you a little, uh, little taste. A little taste. First one. The his first mom. chapter is mom. Yeah, they they come against the virgin birth. They come and then they believe that he was a disciple. He was a, a rabbi's disciple, and he had lewd sexual fault thoughts. Who was then cast out and started the new cult? So think we'll about this about... for just a minute. They dispute the virgin birth, which is tantamount to Christianity. If it was not a virgin birth, then there's there, Jesus was not God. It's mm -hmm. one of the. It's literally one of the stones. One of, and then the second is his moral character. Right. Was he pure? Right. He, and we believe he was pure. He never sinned. 
Yeah. So. See now you're just getting it. You start seeing how they're they're even though that's what the whole thing leading up to it was. Even yeah. though they don't talk about it very much because basically they didn't care. Right. That's it's not because it wasn't important. It's because they're like, eh, whatever. We don't care. Yeah. And then, but the polemical arguments that they make against him touch on literally every important aspect about Jesus in yeah. his life. Yeah. That's why you got to know this. The next chapter called the Torah teacher does not deal with Jesus directly, but with a famous late first century, or, sorry, late first, early second century CE rabbi whom the Roman authorities accused of heresy. The precise kind of heresy is not specified, but I will argue that it is indeed the Christian heresy that is at stake and that the rabbi was accused of being closely associated with a student of Jesus. Moreover, I will demonstrate that, again, sexual transgressions are involved because the Christian cult was characterized as enticing its members into secret, listicious, and orgy <laughs> orgiastic rites. Uh, the rabbi became a rabbinic doppelganger of Jesus, indulging, indulging in sexual excesses and exercising magical power. The rabbis needed to punish him to the full thrust of the means at their disposal for threatening the core of the rabbinic authority. Similar mechanisms are at work in the stories that deal with the ma magical healing power connected with the name of Jesus. In one story, a rabbi is bitten by a snake and wants to be healed by the name of Jesus, spoken over his wound by one of Jesus' followers. His fellow rabbis do not allow the Christian heretic to perform his healing, and the poor rabbi dies. In another story, the grandson of a famous rabbi, choking on something that he has swallowed, survives when a Christian heretic manages to whisper the name of Jesus upon him. Rather than being relieved, however, the grandfather curses the heretic and wishes that his grandson had died instead of being healed through the name of Jesus. In both cases, it is not the magical power that poses a problem, for, on the contrary, the e efficiency of the magical power is taken for granted, even if exercised by a heretic and in the name of Jesus. Rather, what is at stake again is the wrong magical power. The magical power that competes with the authority of the rabbis and invokes another authority, Jesus and the Christian community. Yeah. With the sixth chapter, Jesus' execution, we return to the fate of Jesus himself. Here, a quite elaborate story, again only in the Babylonian Talmud, details the halakhic procedure of Jesus' uh, trial and execution. Jesus was not crucified, but according to the Jewish law, stoned to death, and then, as the ultimate post-mortem punishment reserved for the worst criminals, hanged on a tree. This took place on the eve of Passover, which happened to be Sabbath Eve, Friday. The reason for his execution was because he was convicted of sorcery and inciting Israel into idolatry. As required by Jewish law, a herald made the announcement of his death sentence in order to allow the witnesses in his favor in case there were some, but nobody came to his defense. Finally, he was regarded as being close to, a Roman close to the Roman government, but this did not help him either. My comparison of the rabbinic narrative with the gospel shows some remarkable con congruencies and differences. Most conspicuous, conspicuous among for the former is the day before Passover as the day of Jesus' trial and execution, which concurs with the Gospel of John. 
and among the latter is the rabbinic insistence of the fact that Jesus was indeed sentenced and executed according to Jewish and not to Roman law. I interpret this as a deliberate misreading of the New Testament, reclaiming Jesus, as it were, for the Jewish people, and proudly acknowledging that he was rightfully and legally executed because he was a Jewish heretic. The story about Jesus' five disciples, chapter 7, continues such charges in contrast to the futile exercises of most scholars to find here some dark reminiscence of Jesus' historical disciples. I read the story of highly sophisticated battle with biblical verses, a battle between the rabbis and their Christian opponents, challenging the Christian claim that he is the Messiah and the Son of God, and that he was resurrected after the horrible death, and that his death is the culmination of the new covenant. Hence, as we shall see, the story, instead of adding just another bizarre facet to the fantastic rabbinic stories about Jesus, is nothing short of an elaborate theological discourse that foreshadows the disputations between the Jews and the Christians in the Middle Ages. The most bizarre of all the Jesus stories is the one that tells how Jesus shares his place in the netherworld with Titus and Balaam, the notorious arch enemies of the Jewish people. <laughs> this one, so th- Titus this is, is yeah. Titus is the one who destroyed the temple in seventy nine in seventy yeah. AD, and Balaam was the prophet in the Old Testament. Remember his donkey talk? Mm-hmm. That's Balaam who enticed the Jewish people into sexual. Uh, promiscuity with with uh, the pagan women. Yeah, no, I was just preparing. The sin of Balaam yeah. was the is a big yeah. thing to the Jewish people. Yeah, yeah. This th- this is the chapter that you might have heard this. The if anyone that talks about the, uh, the Jesus in the Talmud, they know about this one. Oh. Yeah. Whereas Titus is punished for the destruction of the temple by being burned to ashes, reassembled and burned over and over again, and whereas. Balaam is castigated by sitting in hot semen. Jesus' fate consists of sitting forever in boiling excrement. Hmm. This obscene story has occupied scholars for a long time without any satisfactory solution. I will speculate that it is again the deliberate and quite graphic answer to a New Testament claim. This time, Jesus promised that eating his flesh and drinking his blood guarantees eternal life to his followers. So... The, uh, why can't I think of the word? Uh, what, what do we do? I'm sorry. I, I don't know what you're. The sacrament of, uh, of communion. Communion. Yeah. So they're talking sorry. about communion here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, understood this way, the story conveys an ironic message. Not only did Jesus not rise from the dead, he is punished in hell forever. Accordingly, his followers, the blossoming church, which maintains to be the new Israel, are nothing but a bunch of fools misled by a cunning deceiver. The concluding chapter, Jesus in the Talmud, attempts to connect the various and multifarious aspects of the Jesus narrative in the rabbinic literature and to place them into historical perspective. Only when the fruitless search for fragments of information about the historical Jesus hidden in the ocean of the Talmud has been given up, and when the right questions are asked, regardless of apologetic, polemic, or other considerations, can we discover the, quote, historical truth behind our sources, that they are literary answers to a literary text, the New Testament, given under very concrete historical circumstances. Hmm. I will address the major topics that appear almost as lead light motives in the text 
sex, magic, idolatry, blasphemy, resurrection, and the Eucharist, and place them in their contemporary literary as well as historical context. I think. Yeah. So, you want me to keep reading? Or no, you, you don't? I was okay. Say, yeah. yeah, I felt like that was good. So, so it's interesting though. We, you know, when you look at what they attack, is they attack the coming of Messiah, mm-hmm. the nature of his birth. Um, they attack his moral standing. They attack his uh, his family in the sen- or his disciples. Uh, yeah. You know, and they. Ex- it- in the practices themselves, the Eucharist, the, the Eucharist, yeah, communion, and so it's the miracles, too. They mm-hmm. they come yep. at the miracles. So these are all the things that actually proclaim him to be Messiah, mm-hmm. right? Be- so like the the Eucharist is a big one. I, I almost mentioned that during the before we started reading, um, forgetting that it was in this part of this. I forgot it was one, one of the big chapters was talking about that, but um, that was a big stumbling block for the Jews because you know the, the, all the all the law talked about eating, you're not supposed to eat the flesh of an animal with blood in it and all these other things. And he's like, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh. And it's, you know, some some theologians believe Jesus said that on purpose to make them get upset, knowing that it would trip them up. Well, uh, I mean, isn't it right after that, a Catholic friend pointed this out to me. He uses the word for gnaw to G-N-A-W. To gnaw to on actually it. gnaw on it. Yeah. And uh, actually in the story, I think it's like three disciples, the unnamed ones, actually leave yeah. after Jesus says that. It's a so. hard saying, yeah. There were a couple of times when disciples left him. Yeah. And and he looks at Peter and he's like, are you going to leave me too? And he's like, where else are we going to go? You're the son of the God, the yeah. son of God. Where are we going to go? <laughs> what else do we have? <laughs> you yeah. know? I mean, I guess I would stick with him, too, if he's been driving demons out of people, <laughs> yeah. feeding thousands of people, walking on water, controlling the weather, prophesying over the yeah. future. Even though they still doubt it after all that. <laughs> well, death has a strange way of, really, yeah. you know, when you see him die on the cross, you think, man, that was a that was a good run. Yeah. That was a good run, you know. And then, boom, three days later. Comes back. And th- what's funny is he's like, What's funny is when Jesus comes back, he rebukes them for their little faith. Yeah. He's like, what are you hiding for? You have little faith, you know? Yeah. And then you have the whole story of Thomas, you know, where he like, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's, uh, we're going to take about uh, seven more episodes. And we're going to dive into it. We're yeah. going to see what he reads. They, uh, they actually, he breaks it down so it understands it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, usually we don't like just reading a lot. It's not going to be us just reading the text. Right. It's going to be a lot of kind of like what we're talking about now. Yeah. Talking about it, uh, rebuking it. Because he doesn't actually bring it. He does a little good job of talking about what the Christians actually believe. Yeah. he actually does read the New Testament and says, yeah. this is what the New Testament believes. But, um, yeah, so that's what you can expect. We're going to break down each of these chapters and tell you what the, and see this is like a big thing that he didn't really talk about in the introduction is when he's talking about the ocean of the talmud you have all these just like i said rabbis for hundreds of years just complaining with one another and arguing is jesus again it it says it's it's you know splattered here and there jesus is said basically it's like uh, i'll give you an example of how they're arguing they're talking about like 
something about like food or whatever and then all of a sudden they'll just throw in oh yeah they're like oh yeah you should the total example i'm just making this up go with it you should eat bagels <laughs> no you shouldn't eat bagels if you eat bagels you're like jesus jesus mother the whore and that's it that's it's like, a, it's like a cut down they just throw it in there and yeah. they don't expound on it um which is a lot of christians don't understand so it's easy to wipe away yeah but uh there's a whole like you know context behind it that right. uh, if you ask a Jewish person to explain to you, they they have to back up to this whole thing if they even tell you it. The the first thing is they'll say, oh well, you don't need to worry about it, or a lot of people don't believe it, or you know something like that, and yeah. they won't address it. But yeah, um, these are important things that you have to understand. Where this is what the Jewish view of Jesus as the person, you know, all these things. So You know what's funny, too, is what? our heart on this is to equip people listening that would be able to share more effectively Jesus with with Jewish people. Right. The Jewish people have no, um, like, it's so funny, like, they would write a book that actually criticizes their own, <laughs> what they're saying, because they don't care, if, like, they don't care if a Christian converts to Judaism. Right. That is not their like intention. So, if they were, this is not an anvil, evangelistic outreach for them. This mm-hmm. book it is actually. He's just saying, "Oh, here's what it's." He, who knows? I don't know this guy. I don't know the author, Peter. But he, this might have been his dissertation for his doctorate or something like that. Yeah. You know, and it's just getting published because he thought it would be a fun topic or easy topic to write on yeah. or something. You just never know. But it's definitely not evangelistic to get someone to turn into. If I was trying to get someone to be, if I was Jewish and wanted to get someone to become Jewish, which they don't do, right? Uh, I wouldn't write a book like this. No, right? Especially if I knew that Christians, you know, it's like the low hanging fruit, right? Yeah, you want to go after the easiest ones, but <laughs> not them. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a that's a uh, a great point. You know, I, I have another Orthodox Jewish friend that. Uh, I'll never hear. That. I mean, that they won't listen. They don't listen to the podcast. And I remember that was that was a big thing. That yeah, they do not. He he told me straight up. And a lot of this uh, again, going back to just the belief of uh, the Jewish faith is they believed that it's not through any kind of faith. They believe that they are saved right now. Again, because they don't have anything else. Right. They do not have the Old Testament. They believe that they are saved. Strictly because of their bloodline, their lineage. That's why it's such a big deal. Um, and you, I think the graces of God. They they believe because they're the they're the chosen people that God's giving them grace because they can't they can't do sacrifices right now. Right. They would say we can't do. It's not that we won't. It's that we can't. Right. And yeah, and because then they would point to the other because there's only been three temples, right? So yeah. you know, so yeah. But uh, yeah, it's funny. He told me he's like, yeah, we don't, we don't ever evangelize. We don't have missionaries. And I'm like, yeah, I guess so. And uh, I was gonna say, yeah, actually, he told me that they are universalist, which is just a whole other thing. Wow, that uh, doesn't really make sense with all the other stuff. I've, but that's yeah, that's kind of crazy. Anyway, yeah. So if you want to hear us talk about that, yeah, you plus. Can... A whole slew of other things we're gonna, we've got yeah. docked. We're going to, you know, Rosie and I were both talking about how we will probably share parts of our testimony, mm. our stories, how we ended up sitting across from each other talking yeah. about all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, we've got some guests that we're lining up that would be, um, they're going to be really cool. 
Um, you know, I had, a, I had a request. Maybe I'll say this as a uh, teaser. I've talked a lot about it, but actually someone, actually multiple people specifically asked if I could talk about the demonic stuff that I've dealt with, spiritual stuff. Your, so, your story, your personal yeah, story. Yeah. Talk about that in a different way. Yeah. If you want to hear that, let us know. Yeah, that's interesting. We both had some uh, yeah. demonic stuff we never <laughs> talked about. So maybe that's the kind of stuff. Yeah. The kind of stuff we don't want everyone else to hear. <laughs> this is the lure. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, yeah. this has been good. This is cool. I'm looking forward to, to going through this book again and, uh, you know, on our private episodes. But we also have some other stuff lined up for our normal podcast. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I've noticed, you know, look, we know. We know we haven't been the most regular pumping out episodes, uh, you know, and I apologize for that. My life has been insane. Rosie, your life has been insane. Uh, but we're getting back on track and yeah. we're making room for this thing and we're plotting out the future a little bit. And I'm excited about future episodes. Yeah. Um, it was only like two weeks since the last one. I know. We've been good. I know. We've been, we're, we're, so, yeah. We're, I'm just hard on myself, yeah, yeah. you know. You know how I am. Yeah. So, but anyways, hey guys, thanks for listening. We will catch you next time on All Out War. See ya. Thanks for listening to the All Out War podcast today. If you had a blast, then we'd love to have you back for another episode. So please subscribe and leave a review. We love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram at All Out War Podcast or on Twitter at AOWcast. These episodes are also available on YouTube unless they contain a little too much truth. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.